0: Dave's going to now read God's word for us. Um, if you've got a Bible, would you turn with me to Mark 11? Um, if you're reading from a pew Bible, it's page 10, 16. Uh, reading from verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter, you'll find a cold tide there, which no one has ever ridden untie it and bring it here if anyone asks you why are you doing this tell them the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly they went, f- they went and found the colt outside the street tied at the doorway as they untied it some people standing there asked what are you doing untying that colt they answered as Jesus told them to and the people let them go when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it he sat on it Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes to the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of the Father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked and found everything, but since it was already late, he went into Bethany with the twelve.
1: Well, I wonder how good your memory is this morning. If I asked you, 20th of January, 2009, what were you doing on that day? Or what happened on that day? What happened on the 20th of January? The inauguration of President Barack Obama as the President of the United States of America. A day of great celebration. A day of great triumph. Incredible numbers of people celebrating that great event. Just a few weeks ago, we had another memorable day. A day of even greater triumph. (laughs) Ireland winning the Rugby Union Grand Slam. And once again, we had the incredible numbers of people joining in the triumph Here at Windsor on Sunday mornings, we're making our way through the Gospel of Mark, looking at some of the numerous events where every contact leaves a trace. And if you were here last Sunday morning, you'll remember that in chapters 3 and 4, David drew our attention to the crowds of people who followed Jesus as he healed them, performed miracles, taught lessons by means of parables. Wherever he went, Jesus was followed by hordes of people. And these crowds of people are still in evidence when we reach chapter 11 of Mark's Gospel. If you want to turn again to that passage, you'll find it on page 1016 in the Pew Bible. And as we already said, today is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday marks the day that Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem. It marks the beginning of the last week that he would spend with his disciples here on earth. The traditional view of Palm Sunday is that it is a well-deserved recognition of the Lord's Messiahship. That at last he is receiving a proper welcome as king in fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout Daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The crowds shout Hosanna, which means save us now, and they see him as a conqueror and acknowledge him as king of Israel. I think it would be fairly true to say that most of us have grown up with the tradition of the image of this event as a a moment of joy and triumph for our Lord. But I want to ask the question this morning, is that true? Careful reading of the passages and careful reading of the parallel passages in the other three Gospels teaches us how important it is to learn about Jesus from Scripture rather from tradition. And if you read the record of this event in all four Gospels, you'll find that it was not the city of Jerusalem and its inhabitants who welcomed Jesus as king. You'll find, in fact, that in John chapter 12 and verses 12 and 13, it tells us it was the people outside of Jerusalem, the great crowd that had come to Jerusalem for the feast who laid down their palm branches and shouted hosannas and blessings as Jesus rides into town. These were not, in fact, the residents of the city of Jerusalem, but pilgrims, outsiders, people from around Judea and Galilee and Idumea and Decapolis and even foreign countries. And you'll also remember from our study last Sunday morning that up until this point, Jesus had requested his identity be kept secret. We have that in Mark chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, Luke records for us in chapter 19 and the verses on the screen, that he wept over this city, such was his concern. Concern rather than triumph, I would suggest. Matthew's account tells us the whole city was stirred up and an uproar over Jesus' entry. And instead of joining in the acclaim and celebration, the Jews of Jerusalem suspiciously asked, who is this? The people who had poured into Jerusalem had to tell them, this is Jesus, a prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You see, they weren't understanding the true nature of the first Palm Sunday. Even the disciples were confused and bewildered. They had been with Jesus in Galilee, and when the crowd had tried to crown him king after the feeding of the 5,000, the multitude, and they had seen Jesus reject the crowd's acclamation at that stage. Here, though, it's different. Jesus seems willing to receive the plaudits of the crowds. And this must have been a very confusing time for the disciples They must have been amazed by the seeming inconsistent behaviour of the Lord. As John says here in chapter 12, verse 16, they were not able to make sense of these events until after Jesus was glorified, until after the resurrection. Another common misconception about the first Palm Sunday is the belief that the welcome Jesus received was a kind of spontaneous demonstration. The way most of us have grown up to picture this event was that Jesus rode into the city on a donkey and the crowd suddenly began to appear out of nowhere and began shouting and breaking off branches from palm trees. Well, at least that's how I pictured things for many years of my growing up. However, if you carefully read all four gospel accounts of this event, you'll get a very different picture altogether. If you read carefully, you'll find that this demonstration was carefully orchestrated. And it was carefully orchestrated by Jesus himself. He was the one who had been carefully planning events according to a very precise schedule. And you read all four Gospels and piece them together chronologically, you'll find that the arrangements for the donkey were made well in advance of the day. Jesus himself had made these arrangements during a visit to Jerusalem, probably weeks, maybe even months earlier. And it was during that visit he also arranged to rent a room which he and the disciples would celebrate the Passover together. As I say, Jesus knew in advance, weeks, perhaps months in advance, what was going to happen and when it was going to happen. Jesus knew that the prophet Zechariah had predicted that the Messiah would come riding on a donkey on which no man had ever ridden. And that in itself is quite remarkable when you think about it. Most of us have enough knowledge from stories we've heard or from films that we've seen to understand that simply doesn't happen. You try getting on a donkey or a horse that hasn't been ridden before and see what happens. But isn't it significant that as soon as Jesus mounts the donkey, the donkey has no resistance. His authority over nature is so complete that this colt, this unridden colt, behaves as meekly as if it were already broken. There are many lessons we can learn from this story. But this morning there is one particular one that I want us to focus on for a few moments. It's one that has been prompted by a book that I read and also from a lesson David drew our attention to last Sunday morning. I wonder do you remember that text? Mark 3, verse 18. James, the son of Alphaeus. Who was he? Well, he was James. The son of Alphaeus, full stop, nothing else. That's all that's recorded. James the Less, living almost in obscurity and nobody. And the person that I want us to think about is in that very same category. He's such a part of the Palm Sunday story, yet he's unidentified and he's unnamed. He's the man who owned the donkey. There's the verses. Verses 2 to 6. Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a cold tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it, and he will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway as they untied it some people standing there asked what are you doing untying that coat they answered as Jesus had told them to and the people let them go the parallel text in Luke speaks of the owners of the donkey here in Mark it simply says some people asked perhaps one person owned the donkey perhaps more than one I don't know and the Bible doesn't clarify the situation for us. But I'm going to look at this situation this morning as if there was one specific owner. And I have a lot of questions I'd love to ask regarding this particular man, this particular owner. Questions I concede which are prompted for me by a book written by Max Lucado, or lacado or as somebody has actually called him, Max Lucado. I'm not sure which. You can have your pick. The man with the donkey. Who was he? What was his name? How did he know someone needed the donkey? Did he know? Or how did he know it was Jesus who needed the donkey? Did he have a dream or a vision? Did someone tell him? Who? Could it have been an angel? How did he feel about giving his donkey? Was it difficult for him to give his donkey? Did he really want to give it? How much did it cost him to give it? Max Locato says this, I want to ask that question because, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't always find it easy to give what's mine. Sometimes I like to keep my animals to myself. Sometimes when God wants something, I act as if I don't know he wants it. And I wonder too, as I think of the man with the donkey, how did he feel when he saw Jesus on the back of his donkey that first Palm Sunday? Was he proud? Was he annoyed? Had he regretted giving his donkey? Was he surprised when he saw what the donkey was being used for? I wonder if it ever crossed his mind what the donkey was going to be used for did it ever cross his mind that God was going to sit on that donkey? I wonder, is it possible that you and I still have a lot to learn from our friend who owned the donkey? In his book, The Angels Were Silent, Max Lucado writes this, Sometimes I get the impression that God wants me to give him something, And sometimes I don't give it because I don't know for sure. And then I feel bad because I've missed my chance. Other times I know he wants something, but I don't give it because I'm too selfish. And other times, too few times, I hear him and I obey him and feel honored that a gift of mine would be used to carry Jesus into another place. And still other times I wonder if my little deeds today will make a big difference in the long haul. And maybe all the questions we've considered about this man are questions we need to ask of ourselves. All of us have a donkey. You and I each have something in our lives which, if given back to God, could, like the donkey, move Jesus and his story of love And friendship and compassion and caring a little bit further down the road for someone else. Maybe your donkey is a school or university desk, a computer, a textbook, a teaching skill, a medical profession, a gift with languages, a love for children, a checkbook, an arm around a shoulder. Whichever it is, it's your donkey. And whatever your donkey, it belongs to God. It really does belong to him. Because your gifts are God's gifts given to you by him, just as the donkey was his. Look at verse 3 again. If anyone asks why you are taking the donkey, you are to say the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. And I'm told that if you look closely at the language that's being used here, it's described as royal language. The king has rights to any possession of his subjects. And really, in a sense, what's meant here is that the man with the donkey is the man who owns what God has given him. The man with the donkey is just another in a long line of those who gave little things to God. And the scriptures are full of donkey givers. Moses, he was asked to give his walking stick. Rahab, a corner of her roof space to hide the spies. David, we all know what he did with his sling. The widow of Zarephath gave the last of her oil and flour to make a meal for Elijah. The widow gave her last two coins. The young boy gave his lunch just five bread, baps if you like, and two little fish. The early church shared their possessions with those who had a need. In each of these cases, these people gave what they had to be used by the Lord. The list is endless. The list is startling. Startling not so much in its personalities, but... More startling by what they offered to God. Let me remind you of another one. He was a 19th century Sunday school teacher who led a shoe salesman to the Lord Jesus Christ. The teacher's name you have probably never heard. He was a guy called Kimball. The name of the shoe salesman he led to Christ you certainly have heard. Certainly if you're in my age category anyway. D.L. Moody. The great evangelist. Moody, as I say, became an evangelist and had an incredible influence on the life of a young preacher called F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer began to preach and led other young men to Christ, one of whom was Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became involved in the YMCA and arranged for a certain baseball player called Billy Sunday to lead a revival. In that revival, a young man called Billy Graham yielded his life to Christ Billy Graham is now 91 years of age and I'm sure when you think of of a world evangelist that's one of the first names that ever comes to mind but I wonder did that Sunday school teacher have any idea what would become of his conversation with a shoe salesman somehow I doubt it He, probably like the owner of the donkey, had a chance to help Jesus journey into another heart. So all he did was to simply do what was asked of him. What about you and me? Have you any idea what God is going to do with the donkey that he's given you? What could you give? As we conclude this morning, I want us to see four groups of people in this story. And I want you to ask the question, which of the four groups of people do I belong to? The opponents? And somehow I suspect that since you're here, you may well not be in this group. But it is possible that you resist everything he tells you. It's possible that you resist any notion of someone being lord and master of your life. And if that's the case, then you are an opponent, just as the scribes and Pharisees and others were opponents. They wanted to kill Jesus. Could it be you're part of the indifferent group? Because on that Pan Sunday, lots of people came out to cheer for Jesus, and lots didn't. And I'm asking the question this morning, are you going through the motions without it having an effect on you? Or are you one of those who thinks, well, faith is okay, if that's your thing. But you personally see no need of it in your life. And if that is the case, then I suggest this is probably the group that you belong to, the indifferent group. But in that crowd, there was also the enthusiastic group. The people who screamed Hosanna on Sunday and said nothing, or worse, they said crucify him at the end of this same week. These are the people who follow the crowd. They sing hymns, clap their hands, go whichever way is popular, whichever way is the most fun or which ministers to them most. What am I getting out of this? Their chief concern is not for following Christ, but their chief concern is being where the action is. Or is it possible that this is the group you belong to, the committed? These are the folk who trust Christ as Savior and as Lord, and he is master of their lives. And what he commands, they will do. Where he sends, they'll be willing to go. What he asks for, they will give. So which group do you find yourself in this morning? The issue this Palm Sunday is the same as the first Palm Sunday. Jesus declares himself to be the long-awaited king that will redeem those who trust him. The declaration is the same. And so is the choice. Will you receive him as king and saviour, or will you simply stand on the sidelines? You see, it's not really about a man's donkey. It's about a man's heart. What the Lord Jesus Christ wants more than anything is our hearts. He wants our trust, our allegiance, our willingness to follow him. And that's why the owner of the donkey is a model to us. He gave what he had without asking questions because he trusted the one who made the request. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ is a model to us. The difference between an earthly king and a heavenly king. Between a king who comes on a mighty charger or a president who comes riding on a beast. And a king who comes riding on the foal of a donkey. Revelation 19, from verses 11 to 16, reminds us that Jesus will return on earth, riding a majestic white horse. But in Mark 11, he comes as the most humble and unassuming king in human history. And in the meantime, he's looking to sit on your donkey, He's looking to sit on my donkey, to sit on our donkeys, which will carry his love and his plans and his purposes into hearts and lives that he came to die for.